Okay, I am so excited for my guest this week. It's Luis Gomez from Real Ass Podcast from Legion of Skanks, one of Bert's great group of friends, and he agreed to come talk to me. Bert thought we should talk about um, being a dad. He's an amazing dad, and he didn't have the best childhood. So Bert thought we'd have a great conversation about that, but we ended up talking about so much more. We talked about his childhood. We talked about how he got into comedy. We talked about his entrepreneurship and how he's always had an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit. And I think it was a great conversation. I was so glad to get to talk to him and get to know him better. So I hope you uh, enjoy this episode with Luis Gomez. Uh, he's such a lovely person. What a lovely human being. Um, thanks for coming back every week. Thanks for all your emails you send me, birdieboyproductions.com, wife of the party page. Please, I love reading all your emails and your comments. Um, hope you really enjoy this podcast with Lewis. I really, really did. Um, yeah, so enjoy. I rode my bicycle past your window last night. Thanks for working so long yesterday. I know it was a really long day. Thank you. That's how you. That's a good way to treat employees. Well, I mean, it See, was I go. A long I was like, day. you know, what? welcome to the business, motherfucker. Well, that's I mean, what, that you too. wanted. If you wanted short days, you shouldn't have gotten into entertainment. That's what, <laughs> that's what I tell my employees all the time. I'm such an asshole. But, but that's you're also such true. a nice person. Yeah, but that's also true. That's that. You're right. But yeah. I also just were. I I was. You know. I did comedy for so long before I had any sort of success or any money. Yeah, yeah. I, I podcasted for a decade before anything came of it. So yeah. it's like when people like get into it now and I'm like, you can't complain about money. You don't even fucking exactly. know what it's like to work for a decade without making anything. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. We crazy. were talking about that the other day, how people don't understand. I, 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 I get really upset how the way the world of standup works is so unfair that you get paid nothing in the beginning. I mean, when Bert was first touring, he made 500 bucks a weekend. Yeah. I was managing an apartment building, had a small baby, couldn't afford a nanny. So I was like baby on the hip managing this apartment building. Yeah. And he, you know, by the time he paid for travel and food and money. manager and exactly. Yeah. And I would always go, how does someone do this without like a sugar mama? And I wasn't even a sugar mama. Yeah. I mean, he'd like ask me for 50 bucks and I'd go, we don't uh -huh. have it, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but we got $25 to last us until you go back on the road. Yeah, but you know, that's not, are we on? Cause this is a good, I think this is yeah, a good I think, we, Are we on? Yeah. All I right, good. Well, the, because, but in a weird way, even though if you don't have the money, you are the sugar mama to a certain degree because you have um, just somebody to lean on, right? Yeah. So like uh, when, when I was coming up, me and my son's mother, she, she just like, I, it was, it's a big ask. You're asking somebody to have like blind faith 
and this thing, this intangible thing, which is like, I, I couldn't, I could, there was no plan. I was like, I wasn't like, oh, well, Beatrice, this is how it's going to turn into a lot of money. This yeah. is how it's going to turn in. This is the, the plan. And 10 years from now, I'll be making this much money and everything will be good. It was more like me going like, I think I got something here. <laughs> Just trust me that yeah. I will figure that path out. And for anybody to even believe in themselves that much, it's a unique trait. But to have somebody else have that sort of blind faith in you, it's a very special thing, whether they have money or not. So I'm very envious of that. And, and Bert having you obviously created, a, you know, it's, it's extremely valuable. But I watched my friends like Nate Bargatze, his wife, Laura, I mean, just, you know, supported him. Not Financially, it's not the, really the, the way she supported him. She was just there for him and really believed in him. Um, you know, a, lo a lot of my friends, Dave Smith from Legion of Skanks, his wife, um, you know, Big J's ex-wife, she was really there the whole beginning. Like, and I think you really do need a support system there or it's a lonely, lonely path. I agree. Yeah. I, I think it's... A I think it is the most thankless job in Hollywood because you work for nothing for a long time, like you said, 10 years before you even see any. Before like, you even know if it's a possibility. Exactly. You have to blindly go, well, I'm going to invest this time and I don't even know on the other end of it if it's all going to be worth it. Right. right. Who knows? There's no way. And that is that is a really tough thing. And very often, more often than not, it does not work out like it worked out for Burt Kreischer or even for me, for that matter. Right. More often than not, you teeter out and you go, well, I have to move on to something else. The reason otherwise there'd be an unlimited amount of comedians right now. They, so they eventually move on. Um, and that is a scary thought. I, I had a cousin who's a, this funny girl, really sweet girl, very funny. And she was like, I want to get into stand up. And I sort of gave her this whole Braveheart speech. And I was like, look, you have to give your life to it. You have to you know, you're not going to know if you're going to even be able to make money for a decade. I mean, if you get fast-tracked, maybe less than that, but a decade minimum, really, before anyone starts to make any cash and to even know if it's worth it. And then she was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I was like, all right, good. Good, then don't, because <laughs> don't. it is really hard yeah. and it's really thankless. And, you know, I was talking to someone else about this the other day. Um, you guys don't have a union. You don't have any benefits. Like, if you're a stage actor on Broadway, you have a union and benefits. If mm. you're television actor so not only do you have to struggle you can't really take care of yourself in the way that other, you can't afford health insurance i mean god forbid something happened and you don't have well, you somebody. just mentioned a pipe bursting in your house yeah if if you're like the the entire bottom floor everything got flooded right yeah. um that would ruin me like right. that right there right, right now right. today it would wipe me out and i'd have to start from scratch i wouldn't know what i would necessarily do right so yeah in the beginning of comedy where there's nothing you know it is a lot of um you know you're doing it for legit and it sounds you know very hack and cheesy but it's the love of the game you're doing it because you're like there's this like addiction in the beginning it just laughs right and that's your payment and you're like this is like I've never felt this way before. You go up on stage and a room full of people are laughing at you and you're like, I get to feel like the man. I get to get some free drinks, maybe some food. And that's enough, you know? <laughs> right. And then that goalpost starts being moved further and further back. You know, mm -hmm. you start to set bigger and bigger goals. Mm -hmm. And um, that's one of the things that comedy has taught me. That's one of the things that parenting has taught me is just how important setting goals are and, um, you know, how we, we achieve those goals. Like we're designed to hit our goals, right? Yes. This is what we do. Human beings hit our goals. Yeah. Even on the, 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 the lowest level, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the lowest level of human, but like even Simplest. Your, your friends that are broke, right? They still pay their rent. Yeah. Even if they're living on a friend's couch, they still eat every day. They're not starving to death. They're not homeless. The problem is they just set their goal too low. The goal right. is to just get by, which is most people's goals. Mm -hmm. Most people's goals, I just want to pay the bills every month. Oh, I, got, I want to take a vacation at the end of the day. Let me save, let me save, let me save. And they just set this goal and then they hit it. 
And instead of going, well, wait a minute, let me just set a bigger goal. Let me move that goalpost back and realize that it's all just sort of a game, right? And it's not, a lot of this stuff isn't even tangible. It's just sort of like thoughts and, and us putting into action. Um, so comedy taught me that. Being a father really taught me that. Like I, when my son was born, um, you know, I was broke. Like I'm steal, stealing baby food. Like, mm. you know, like it's absolutely broke. Mm. Hopping turnstiles. Like, um, and I was living in New York City. And it was it was really hard. But I remember saying to myself and to friends and to my, my son's mother, I was like, look, by the time he has memories, by the time he's four or five years old, I was like, I want him to have a nice apartment, just some nice things, yeah. be able to take a vacation once in a while. And sure enough, I, I, it was exactly like clockwork. As soon as he turned four, things just started to come together. Cause you set a goal, man. I set a goal. Yeah. And then I started going, why am I, why would I set just such a small goal? Mm. Why would I think so small? And now I, I'm uh, since then I've been growing in a much faster, more rapid way. Um, and it's all due with just sort of mentally setting these goals. Yeah. It's about being clear with your intention, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, that's all a goal really is, is to be able to really put on paper or in some kind of, you know, way that you can wrap your head around what you want. And I, I set goals differently than I did when I was in my twenties. You know, mm. my twenties, I would say, I want to be rich or I want to be this or that. And now I start, my goals are about feelings. Like I want to feel secure. I want to feel like I don't need to worry about money. Right. Not, I need to be a millionaire or whatever, but it's amazing too, how your goals change as you grow. And Bert does something that I think is awesome. He's done it the whole time I've known him, every year on his birthday, he takes himself to dinner by himself. By himself. By himself. And he writes his goals for the year. And every year he achieves those goals. Love that. Every Love single it. year. He does it every year. I've, we've been together 21 years. He's never missed a year. That's amazing. And so the reason he has so much growth, I think, is exactly that. Yeah. Is because he knows that day and he comes home and he writes them on a big poster board. So he has them. He keeps them in his joke book. And, and he thinks he big. And he thinks, and he thinks big. big. He and he, and he, and he sees the path to it. I was just, when you, when I showed up, when you, when you showed up, I was on the phone with Robert Kelly, who's a uh, good, good I friend. Love Bobby one of the Kelly. Guys. Oh my to, God. I love him you so hi. much. And we were just talking. I was like, wow. I was like, these guys are really killing it out here. He was like, dude, I know. And I was making, uh, we were making fun of each other because I was going to move to LA like a decade ago with Nate Bargatze. We were, mm -hmm. Nate Bargatze is my son's godfather. Oh, we were okay. next door neighbors. We were really close. Um, you know, we have very different careers and paths now, very different totally. types of comedy, but you know, he's my brother. I love that guy. And Nate had convinced me to move to Los Angeles. He was like, dude, you got to come out. It's going to be great. And then Bobby Kelly, he was like, dude, don't go to fucking LA. You're a New York guy. Trust me. And then I ended up through a series of events. I ended up staying in New York. And I remember I always thanked Bobby for it. I was like, dude, thank you for like keeping me in New York. Cause it really did. It was the right choice for me right. until I came to your, your podcast studio house. Yeah. And I realized that I was like, no, I made the wrong choice. I should have come to no. LA with Nate a decade ago. No. I would have been Rogan's number two. I would have had a lot of cool things happen for me. Had I not listened to fucking oh, stupid Robert Jesus. Kelly. <laughs> well, that's not true because you are where you're supposed to be. Of Course. We always are, but and it's never too late. No, it's true. I can come now. Why not? I, I can't. Me and my son's mother, unfortunately, aren't together anymore. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we co parent. I, I can't yeah, leave. Can't There's leave, no, yeah. um, no way. Another eight years, though. And then I can. Is he 10? Yeah, he's 10. Oh my God. I can go anywhere I want after that. All right. So Bert told me that we should talk about this is what he said. Because I know, I know you, obviously, but he knows you far better than mm -hmm. I do. Um, he said he thinks that it would be really interesting for us to talk about breaking your cycle of breaking my cycle, like how you were brought up, mm. 
as opposed to how you raise your kids. Right. So my mom, I believe, is really mentally ill. She's mm. had her on her seventh husband. Wow. Don't talk to her anymore. She um, had me steal things when I was a kid. She had me do like really shady shit. She was mm. really shady. And a lot of like mental shit with her. Like I had to take 21 vitamins a day. She monitored my bowel movements. She was really fucking crazy. Yeah. No, no drugs. No, nothing like that. She was into Maharishi Mahishi Yogi, like really a, just an off the wall woman. I yeah. learned a lot of great things from her. It doesn't seem like she's morally corrupt. It seems like she's a wacky woman. Uh, she's morally corrupt. Okay. okay. I'll tell you later about sure. that. I'm yeah. not going to say it on here. She's, she's, she's got some issues. I've been told by my therapist. She's definitely got some serious right. shit. I'm sure. So, you know, I, I was never going to have kids ever. And then when I did, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this totally different. Mm. I, I will not. I will not do what was done to me. Like my mom, I believe, has narcissism as a personality disorder. So everything that it, unless I lined up entirely with what she wanted, she would uh, excommunicate herself from me. Like mm. at 13, you're dead to me. I don't talk to you for a year. That's like crazy. that uh, and over and over again in my life. So when I had a babies, I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to see them as who they are and I'm going to parent them from there. Right. And Bird told me your childhood is very different than your parenting. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and I I little things that you said there I definitely connected with. My mom would have me steal things. Uh -huh. She would have me go to Baxter's pharmacy and steal like the testers for like perfume. Mm -hmm. And she had a line. She was like if you get caught just tell them it's your mom's birthday. They're going to think it's cute that you're like trying to steal so something for we'll just let you go. Yeah. Um but my mom um you know, from a very young age, I realized that my mom, it's weird because I think that I felt a lot differently about her, you know, even just a few years ago than I do now. I feel bad. I feel like my mom's a victim now. Mm -hmm. My mom died when I was 22 years old. Oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah. And she, yeah, she wasn't, um, yeah, she wasn't a great person ultimately, but she had a really, I mean, a, a horrible, horrible upbringing. She had my sister mm -hmm. when she was 18, me when she was 20. She was a child. Now that I got a kid, I had my son at 30 and I felt like I was a kid. Yeah, right. You know, and she was on drugs and abused oh, and sexually abused from a very young age. And it came out in a lot of ugly ways. She was um she was a prostitute and a heroin addict. And um, we were all hyper aware of a lot of this stuff as a young I knew I walked in on my mom with a John when I was like three. Oh my god. And I remembered, or four, maybe four, because I I have the memory, but I remember knowing that she wasn't having sex with him for pleasure and that I just knew it was for money. I don't know where it came from. That's my question. How I, do you know that? How, how did I you just, have It was that? an older guy. I, I was a friend of the family. I, I just knew, <clears throat> I knew it was transactional. Right. And I never learned about prostitution or yeah. maybe I had in some subconscious way. And I, I you know, I, but I just remember at the time being like, my mom's doing this for money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, just very, very, exposed to a lot of things that little kids aren't supposed to be exposed to. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and my mom was extremely abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, psychologically abusive. Um, you know, just, you know, just almost as bad as it gets in terms of like abuse, poverty, grew up on section eight welfare. Didn't, you know, the lights were off half the time. TV was off, never, you know, never on phone yeah. was off half the time. Um, and my mom was also not very, to begin with, my mom was very bright, but she would, didn't, setting goals there was no goal she didn't have skills man she didn't, how, where would she learn life skills you you're when the suburbs is a fucked up place for like poor people right mm -hmm. the, the city you're when you're in a big city 
you're in a big city. There's I'm in New York City. There's Broadway. There's Wall Street. You're on the subway. There's a fucking millionaire sitting across from you. There's the next guy who's you know got big dreams. There's inspiration happening mm -hmm. when you're in the fucking suburbs and or in the rural area where there's just like no, there's nothing. There's no nobody's mm -hmm. trying to get out of it. There's no path. So my mom was very willing to lie in a bed, smoke cigarettes, take. Um, you know, uh, methadone and, you know, just fall asleep and barely work. And it was just not a very, I, I just remember just being young, being like, that's not how I want to live my life. Right. I don't want to be a person who sits down. I was very embarrassed. She, she was on welfare, very embarrassed of her using food stamps. Um, you know, kids would make fun of me for it. It was something that I was like, that's, and it, it wasn't like, in my opinion, my mom was too smart to lie there and be that. Right. You know, so I was just, I just didn't have a lot of pride in who my mother was. Mm -hmm. And she never had a lot of pride in who we were, you mm -hmm. know. Um, there was some good moments, obviously, but it was a, lot, a ton of abuse and it was very, very physical. And there was, when I had a kid, um, I didn't know that I was going to be a peaceful parent. I didn't know that I would, wouldn't. So I've never spanked my son. He's never been yelled at. I, I actually yelled at my son for the first time ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Three weeks ago. Why? For the first actual time, because my fucking sister was pissing me. I wasn't even mad at him. <laughs> we were, my sister was pissing me off. I brought them out to Washington, D.C. My niece, my sister, and my son. My, my niece is two years younger than him, so they're like siblings, essentially. They're yeah. so close. They live a, a block from each other. And Is um, it just you and your sister? Do you have more kids, siblings? Uh, yeah, just me and my sister. Okay. Yeah, I actually have a half-brother and half-sister, but I don't, I've never known them or Got anything. It. Um, but yeah, whatever it was, we were trying to go, we were trying to go to a museum and we were running late for the reservation. And that's just one of my triggers. I turn into an asshole when I'm running late. <laughs> I'm so, I've been so shitty. My Uber rating is abysmal. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so, because th that's when I'm running. If I'm running late, I'm in an Uber. I'm like, come on, we gotta go take a shortcut. Like right. terrible. Um, so that's like one of my triggers. And it was just a moment where he wasn't getting ready. He wasn't paying attention. I kind of snapped at him. And I felt so bad. Right. I, I, I mean, I felt so horrible because I, I literally, I just don't yell at him. That's not the way I communicate right. with my son. It's not necessary. I have, I have the sweetest kid in the world. Like yeah. literally you would meet my son and your heart would melt. He's the fucking Aww. greatest kid you'll ever meet. I think I got lucky. I'm a little bit older now, you know, for a while I was like, no, it's the way we raise him. And that's it. You know, I know that I'm lucky. I think, you know, genetically yeah. speaking, he's just a super sweet, gifted kid who's, you know, got a lot going for him. But we we treat him with kindness. Like my son, he's always treated with love. Um, if he does something wrong, I I take my foot off like the affection gas, mm -hmm. you know, and he feels you see him feeling immediately. So it's like, you know, if I'm disappointed in him, like yeah. it's like almost like the old trope. It's like, you know, I'm I'm disappointed as a dad. Like he, it affects him. It really, yeah. really does. And it's just because he's gotten so much love and so much kindness right. um, that I think that that, you know, in my opinion, is a better way to raise a kid. Um, so, yeah, I just I heard I started doing a little more research about peaceful parenting and uh -huh. what that meant um, after I had a kid. But uh, I'll tell you the moment that, you know, so. All right. This is a little bit personal, but whatever. It doesn't matter. What's up to you? No, I don't give a shit. Um, so uh, we, me and my son's mother had a huge argument while she was pregnant with him mm -hmm. about him being circumcised because mm -hmm. I'm circumcised and I wanted my son to be circumcised. Yeah. And um, it was as simple as like, yeah, I want him to look like me. Yeah, totally. Simple as that, you yeah. know, and it's, you know, tradition, whatever else it is, right? And she was like, you know, no, you know, she's, you know, I think she was with a lot of Dominican guys or something before me, but she was like, no, it's fine. I was like, all right, you know, and, and I'm just, I'm being a pig-headed, you know, ape. And I'm like, nope, simple as that. And she eventually was like, you know what? it's your son. You're the man. I'm going to let you ultimately have the choice. Yeah. But like, and then she started sending me like videos of babies being circumcised, Oh my god, which is horrifying. Yeah. Hor like, Oh my God. Like they hold them down. It's just, it's true torture. So that started getting into my head. And then 
you know, my son, when he was born, they put him in my hands and I'm like holding this little baby, this tiny little thing. And they were like, all right, well, it's two, it was like three in the morning. They were like, we're going to wait till tomorrow to circumcise him. Um, And then I was just like, no, you can't, you can't put a blade to my son's body. That's fucking crazy. It's just like the, the instinct to protect him immediately kicked in and now he's got a weird dick. So. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) He's going to learn one day. He'll still find love. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure he'll be okay. I think it's also like back, back when I was born, 82, um, it was like 90 or 95. You were born in 82? 82, yeah, I'm 40. I'm 40. I could almost be your mother. No, stop. I'm 52. Well, I'm Puerto, yeah, I'm Puerto Rican culture, yeah. Exactly. I get it by, hey, I'm from rural Georgia. I can almost you be your mother. You can almost be my mother. That's so crazy. Yeah. Um, so, um, but uh, yeah, now it's like, I think it's like 50-50 now. Or getting yeah, I think, size, it, so. I think it's a lot more normal. Not but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I just try to, I don't know, like, I but try to did nothing. Did nothing, did you not have, I had a moment of going, I will not be doing that. So let me figure out what this other is. Did you have like that conscious thought or you just were always like, I'm just not doing that? Um, because I, I, I just remember as a kid remembering my mother hitting me and being like, I'm a fucking kid. What is wrong with you? You lunatic. Where did that come from? Where did, because some some kids don't do that. No, some kids, well, people defend their parents. This is a very, one of the most controversial things I say Mm -hmm. is being anti-spanking. And it's something that people are really passionate about because they take it personally and they go, oh, well, what are you saying? I had a bad mother or you're saying I'm a bad parent. I got spanked. I definitely got spanked, but I decided not to spank my kids because I thought that's not communicating. That's, that's your, in order to affect change in a child, you have to communicate with them and and just hitting them. I guess it is a form of communication, but it's so unclear. Why? Yeah. What's the lesson? It, I mean, the, do what the, I say, and that's it. And it, it also it just teaches them to use force, and it teaches them to it, it just it programs them that that is a way to communicate. And yeah. I, I think it's a scary whether you're on the other whether you walk around with a fear of being struck or a fear of especially by the person that's supposed to take care of you. Yes, this is the person that's supposed to take care of you, that's and right. you look up and they're hitting you. That's a fucking. Cr- I don't care. No matter what way you want to slice that, don't tell me that that's not psychologically damning. Don't tell me that that totally. doesn't do something to a little kid i'm not saying that it's going to you know turn every kid into a serial killer i'm just saying that it does something and i know it's not positive there's nothing you're never going to convince me that striking a child is the way to do it i think people used to justify hitting their wives back in the day the same way you yeah. know that you, you this is like an old-timey way of thinking i think in 20 or 30 years it'll be a crime in most places to strike children i yeah. think we're gonna the research will come out um, you know, and I know people are out there going like, you just don't know my kid. And it's like, well, I mean, to be honest with you, if you're hitting them and they're still acting that way, it's not working. It's not I, working. I don't, I don't know the kids who are being struck that That's are right. like all these perfect angels. Right. In fact, if you go to, if you go to most, you know, jails or prisons, most criminals, I, my assumption, a big common thread there is that they were hit as children guaranteed. Right. And weren't talked to and weren't, weren't explained. Talked to, weren't communicated. And with. even if they were hit, like we don't spank our kids. I spanked Isla one time. Hmm. What'd she do? Oh my God. She was four and a half, maybe four, someone like that. My dad has a lake house with his siblings and his two sisters are very like no food on the furniture, no feet on the furniture, very all about keeping the furniture nice. Right. So Isla gets on the furniture and is walking across the two couches. And I go, Isla, get down. You got to get down. And she's still hopping. (laughs) Isla, get down. And I went, Isla, get down. And she goes, No. And spits on the couch. No. And I went, that's it. That's it. In the room. Wow. We went in the room and I went, I am going to spank you because I have, this was like the last straw. She had had a whole week 
at the lake of just not listening to me, yeah. of not complying, of not not participating, not not she was wasn't listening. So I could say anything and she'd do the opposite. She yeah. was in that love. She's four. Yeah. But I was like, okay, at this point, I brought her in the room and I went, I'm going to spank you. And this is why I'm spanking you. You seem to be unable to manage yourself. So I'm going to spank you and I'm going to sit you in here with your thoughts for a minute and then we can talk about it later. So I spanked her one smack, <laughs> didn't cry, right. nothing. It was stupid. It was useless. <laughs> but I really was at my wits end and Bert yeah. was, of course, on the road and I was the only parent yeah. and I had Georgia and I had, you know, Georgia was older. They were kids and i just was like i don't know what else to do yeah i had done everything but in retrospect it didn't work it didn't do a damn uh, thing you know, now, i never did it again now you have this memory that you kind of feel guilty about I she probably terrible. doesn't even, she doesn't even have the memory she doesn't probably remember. um she doesn't remember it all but she holds it over my head you yeah. know you did spank me that one time and well like, and you'll and you'll hear that a lot very often like parents will be like you know what my you know I, sp I spanked my kids twice and it was because it came there and you go so well probably didn't have to ultimately you no know i totally like, did yeah um yeah. You know, and it, it is, it's a very, whatever it is, a very, you know, people get very sensitive about this subject. Yeah, they do. Um, for some reason, I, I don't really, I don't really get it, but you know, I, I was, uh, that's just the way, the way that I was raised. I just said I was going to do everything the opposite. Yeah. Literally everything the opposite. Yeah. Um, and aren't you happy for it? Yeah. Oh, I'm 100%. so happy. I feel so good about my relationship with my kids. And yeah. it makes me feel really bad for my mom because she's not capable. Yeah. She's, she's has some similar stuff in her past that your mom did. Yeah. And it broke her. Like mm. she's broken. And I understand that she doesn't have the self-awareness or the drive or whatever it is to try and make herself more whole so she can be happy mm. not even so she can be with me just so she can be happy herself yeah. and her own person um it really breaks my heart and i look around at my family and i think boy she's really missed out mm. and that's a shame well she has seven other families <laughs> no kids everybody <laughs> no, kids? She, no kids wow everybody she married has no kids yeah, I don't think she uh, should have had kids. I think she had one, and I think that was good. Yeah. <laughs> I always worry if I had a sibling, I don't think they would have made it. Like, is your sister like you? Just so my sister, my sister's, my sister inspired me in a lot of ways. My sister was That's very awesome. funny. Wanted to do stand up when she was a kid. She did. Um, yeah, but she was painfully shy, like painfully shy. And uh, she did. She used to do this thing called. Is she older. Yeah, two years older than me. And I looked up to her so much, Aww. right? So she did this thing called the Jenny Pooh Show, which was like uh, her and her friend Doug, who were like, like they became pen pals. I guess he moved to Jersey and we lived in, you know, upstate New York. And they would send each other like essentially the, you know, precursor to what podcasts were is they would like record on like a little recorder and they do sketches and they'd send them to each other and then mix them together. And it was like, I just watched this and I thought it was so cool. Yeah. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And I didn't realize like how much that ended up affecting who I am now because I do stand up. I, I mean, we used to watch stand up obsessively as kids in the house, um, deaf comedy jam, all like urban stuff, you know, Eddie Murphy, Martin Lawrence. Um, and cause that's what we connected with. We were just yeah. like poor kids who, you know, through comedy, the, you know, the, especially in like the, the, the black and the urban comedy circuit, I mean, 
that's what people connected with being poor, being on welfare, not having the lights on your mom beats the shit out of you. That's what they joked about. Yeah. And that darkness is what I connected with. Sure. It was, it, that's, that's what comedy was to me. Yeah. It was like a, a way that you can take something that's really ugly and dark and you put it through this little mental process and you spit it out as something that everyone can relate to. And it's something that's really funny. Yeah. Like uh, what an amazing thing that that's, you know, yeah. when you talk about Legion of Skanks, gas digital, all the things that I do with, you know, people think we're edgelords for the sake of being edgelords. That's not it at all. I, that gets, I can't get up for something that doesn't have a little bit of edginess to it. Right. That's just the found, the foundation of who I am. Right. That's what makes me laugh. It's not saying that like, look, Nate Bargatze, squeaky clean. I love him. He's yeah. brilliant. Brian Regan, hilarious. My, I watch stand up with my son now and he only watches, you know, squeaky clean comedy. Yeah. I've showed him a couple of my bits because <laughs> he really wants to see my stuff. You sure. know? Um, but I, you know, I, he's, he's a young kid. He's not really, really ready for that type of content yet. And, um, you know, but yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's sort of like painted who I am as a comic. It was just sort of like growing up in that environment and then seeing it. And then I moved to New York City when I was 19. I moved to New York City like a week before 9-11. And I was wow. selling comedy club tickets on the street. Right. And that was my job, right? Yeah. I, I answered an ad in the newspaper. That's how I got into the stand-up comedy world. Yeah. I was just promoting for comedy clubs. 9-11 happened. And that was my job. So a week later, we were out there selling comedy club tickets again. And I just watched everyone flock to the comedy clubs. Not, New York had an attitude of like, you know, we're New York strong. Fuck you. The terrorists aren't going to win. Right. So everyone took a day off of work. But then the next day, by Thursday, everyone was like, fuck that. We're going back to work. But right. that was the attitude. It was, right. a, it was a very proud time to be yeah. a New Yorker. And I remember just being in the comedy clubs before I'd ever done stand-up. This is just as a promoter, a young kid. Um, and then just seeing all of these comics, every comic was making jokes about 9-11 in New York City a week after it happened. And that's, and I watched everyone laugh. I watched, I mean, people so had powerful. family members that were missing still. And they were sitting in a comedy club because that's all you could do. And th these things are, in my opinion, that's the value of comedy. This totally. is the, the social value. Like, you know. Yep. And I think that it sometimes gets lost. It's not just dirty words for the sake of saying dirty words. It's trying to find something funny in this like really dark subject matter that shouldn't be funny. Mm -hmm. But that's the thing that why would not you not want to draw the positivity out of something? I totally agree with you. Mm. I think comics get so much shit when they shouldn't because you're supposed to. You're supposed to have your audience go to their limit, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you bring them to their limit if you don't push the limits, right? Yep. If you don't say shit that makes you go, oh, yeah. sometimes. And sometimes you step over the line, you, you fuck up yeah. and you go, oh, shit. But that's it. You go, all right, well, we're, how... But how do you know where the line is if you don't try? Exactly. And you I can't. And that's when you talk about cancel culture, and I don't want to turn it into a cancel culture conversation, but that's ultimately really what it is. The 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 spirit of cancel culture is is making people question how close they can get to that line, right? Mm -hmm. And making people be afraid and making people go, you know what? Keep that fucking line way over there. I'm going to stay in this much safer area. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that forget just comedy, just in terms of art, like you have to experiment, you have to try new things without being judged. Mm -hmm. And because we live in a social media society, everyone's got cameras, you know, everything is just being watched and collected. Yeah. I think everyone's just paranoid. They're like, dude, I don't want to lose what I have. I don't want to miss misspeak or say something stupid or say something. People can make mistakes. People can say dumb things. People can say stuff that's not funny. People can say offensive things. People could literally, people could change the person I am today, who I am from 10 years ago. It's a very, very different person. I'm right. a father. I, you know, I'm a business owner. I have a lot of things going on just in terms of my own values, how I carry myself. I don't do drugs. Anymore. I did a lot of drugs. You know what I'm saying? I just don't do them anymore. It's not a moral objection. I'm not judging you for doing them. That's right. just, I, I truly changed as a person, but 
it's all blurred because I've been doing podcasts for almost 15 years. And you just watch that. You watch the progression. You can literally just watch me change as a human being. And I think for the fans, it's amazing. And they get to go yeah. like, oh, wow, I get to watch this guy develop as a human, as a human yeah. for people who aren't fans. They go, oh, that guy, you know, this is the same idiot from 10 years ago that tried to fist fight a guy at a comedy club. And that's just on video, right. you know, or he, he said he made this joke and it bombed and it fucking, you know, so, um, yeah, it's a we it's a weird thing to be in, uh, you know, in entertainment. I feel like there's just a ton of fear, and it all does come back to parenting because, like, I have that fear for my son. Like, my son knows me as me, right? My son probably knows the, I would say, the truest version of who I am, like deep down, who I want to be, right. you know, in in, in every sense. Because he, it's like, um, he's like a like almost like a moral guiding light. Like, I would never fuck up in front of him, right? At the very least, I really try not to, yeah. you know, and um. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, sorry, I, got, I, I lost my train of thought on that. Uh, uh, you really saying. love being a dad. I love being a dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I really do. So fulfilling, isn't it? It is. It's the best. It's so fun. It really I is. I love it too. And I, I never thought I'd be a parent. I, I, mm. had, I had my dad's an amazing dad. He was awesome, but I just thought, mm, I'm just not sure. I'm. I got the skills for this shit. Mm. And once I got into parenting my kids, I am really good at it, I think. And I I enjoy it so much. Yeah. That relationship is so fulfilling with your kids. It's like no. Oh, that's other. what I'm sorry. I remember what I was saying now. I remember what? the point I was making. Oh, it's just that like I have a, a massive fear. Like he's gonna go online and see a very different oh, version yeah. of me than he knows. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? He knows mm -hmm. and it's like uh, like this is something that goes. Well, how do you talk to him about that? How do you get ahead of that? Um, so what I, the conversations I have now is I tell him I do adult comedy mm -hmm. and I say words that you're not supposed to say on television yeah. and, and that we try to be funny with them. And that's the whole point of it. Right. Um, you know, he's seen a few jokes of mine, um, especially the ones about him. You know, I have certain, they're not clean, but like, it's just me cursing. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Um, we call them daddy words. Yeah, exactly. Only daddy can say those. Words. So, you know, uh, that's sort of how I get ahead of it. I actually, I talked to, I talked about this on Bert's podcast as you well. Did. I, and I talk about this in my, in my act, but like, there's a video of me pretending to blow Robert Kelly. Oh my God. And but Max, his son and my son are best friends. Right? Yeah. And I, it, so it's, it's a dildo hanging out of Bobby Kelly's pants. Oh my God. And the context is we're going to have a blowjob competition between me and this transgendered porn star named Bailey J. Yeah. And this live podcast. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I bought this dildo and it was so realistic looking. Right. And without, just without thinking the way the internet was going to work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I go first and I'm like, I'm going to fucking win this blowjob competition. I get on my knees and I'm, I'm sucking this dick. Oh my God. Like you want to get your dick sucked. Water hose, what were you I'm saying? Giving it to him, right? <laughs> All right. Crowds fucking losing their minds. Like, ah, they're fucking, I'm fucking on cloud nine, dude. I'm like, I'm gonna win this blood competition. <laughs> Transgender porn star goes up to the microphone. She goes, Yeah, I forfeit. He wins. And she doesn't even do it. <laughs> That's doesn't even do it. So I so now I'm like, oh ha ha. But internet trolls just clipped out the 30 seconds. Oh my god. It literally looks like me getting on my knees, spitting on a dick, looking oh in Robert's god. eyes, and just sucking his dick and seeing. That's that. That's it. And that's just out, right? Oh that's just god. out there. There's no context of a podcast, right. dildo, nothing. Right. So that is one of my biggest oh my fears god. of my life. Is Max yeah. Kelly and my son being on the internet together and finding their fathers filleting oh each other. Oh my God. So I, I, I talk about this in my act, but it's like, I have to get ahead of it. I have to sit him down on his 12th birthday. Like James, I got to show you something. Right? <laughs> let me show you this and let me explain it I to you. I have to explain. Well, Uncle that, Bobby and I do not have a relationship. That's yeah, really funny. Uh, and I, I think, I mean, it's just, it's a, I just want my son to be disappointed. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. my son is being, my, his mother is very, um, 
super liberal, very, um, I would say woke, you know, um, she's raising him that way, you know, and I'm not, but I'm also not political. I'm not like the anti-woke yeah. warrior. Like I'm not the free yeah. speech fuck. I don't give a shit. Like, uh, like I'm, you know, I'm just not a, I'm not an activist. That's just not who I am. I, yeah. you know, I want to just do my shit, make some cash, be funny. You know, right. I don't vote. That's it's, you know, I don't know enough about what's going on in the political landscape to cast a legit vote. It right. would be a blind vote if I voted. Right. right so right. why would I do that? In right. my opinion, I think it's most people should. Sounds feel like way. you think it's irresponsible for you to vote. I do. Yeah. I, I think it's irresponsible, irresponsible for most people to vote. I, don't, yeah. I think we, we buy what they sell us. You know what right. I'm saying? And, um, I just have that fear that my son's gonna like just be on the internet one day and be like, Dad, what the fuck are you saying? Like, yeah. you're, like you're doing and saying these things that are like, you know, and, and I don't know. And I like to think that my son's just funny and is always gonna think it's hilarious. And it seems that he is, but it's, that's, forget being canceled, forget any of the other stuff. I just want, I don't want my kid to be fucking disappointed in me for, you know, just saying dumb shit to, to, to be funny. And, uh, you know, this, even now, like if you hear like, I was, I was, was I, I was listening to an audio book. And I forget it was I was I forget what the book was, but they were just talking about it was like it was maybe it was Abraham Lincoln, and they were they were talking about something during like slavery times, and the narrator in the book used the N word in a yeah. very matter of fact way, like it was part of the writing, yeah. right? It was like he was just reading. I, I don't remember how loud it sounded. Yeah, I was like, whoa, yeah, because you don't hear it in media, right? No, and the Legion of Skanks and the podcast we do, we use words like we'll just throw shit out to be funny. Yeah, and. It's in the, that context, it seems very, very funny, but in the real world context where we never get that, right? right you, you just don't hear that anymore. It just doesn't happen. It's just, very, it's, it, it's deafening. It's so, yeah. it's so out it's the there. It's the only thing you can hear. And my son has never heard me say anything racist, sure. sexist, like, you know, and I just don't want that to blow his fucking eardrums out. Right. When he hears, you know, see, I, I hope he understands the context that my dad's always just trying to be funny and always just trying to make people laugh. It's never about hurting people's feelings. Right. I'd like to think that, you know. Well, I don't know how it is with boys, but I can tell you how it is with girls with mm. their dad being a comic. Um, sometimes it's hard. Uh, not till they got to be probably... 12, 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And at that age, their awareness of who their dad was in the context of the world started happening. You know, right. to them, just like you, he was just dad. He yeah. did drop off pickup. The cool thing about having a stand up for a dad is that he's not a nine to fiver. You know, when he was home, he was drop off pickup, made lunch boxes, mm -hmm. went to softball practice, was fully plugged in. That was a deal he and I made in the beginning was like, I can get on this ride with you. But when you're home, I need you to plug into your kids and be for your kids. And then when you go on the road, do your business, do whatever. That's fine. Mm -hmm. and if you plug in when you're home, then when you're gone, you're actually still plugged in right. because the kids will feel the effect of you being there for 48 hours and really being there. Like right. bath time, bedtime, he did all of it, especially when they were young. Um, and I was working full time. We, at a certain point I had like accumulated more apartment buildings. So I had to get a nanny, but we couldn't really afford her. Mm. So as soon as he hit the ground, I sent her home and he was the nanny, you know, so he took him to the grocery store and yeah. cooked dinner and did all that shit. But it kind of feels that way for me because I co-parent with my son's mother and we yeah. split custody. Yeah. Um. So it's, you know, like when I'm home, I'm like, You're I don't have him. anybody else. I'm right. it's just me. I don't even have somebody else to like share the, the responsibility with. Yeah. Um. And that so. really puts deposits in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. You're putting deposits in the bank that you can withdraw from. Like that when you lose your patience with them that yeah. one time at the museum, 
you got so many deposits that yeah. one withdrawal doesn't make a blip of course but when they got to be teenagers you know the nature of a teenager is that they're super self-centered right yeah. and everything affects them and it's all about them and that's what a teenager looks like that's what we were when we were teenagers right so the way their dad was in the world started affecting them differently right when they hit like how so what do you mean well they were aware that he talked about me sexually mm. in his stand-up and that was weird because yeah. i'm just mom and they were aware that they talked about them he talked about them yeah and ways that you know he always that started bothering them Yes. Yeah. It did. Because my son loves it now. He hears the bits about him. Oh, and they're yeah. They're cute for the most part. There's yeah. really nothing. I call him a pussy in one bit, but he thinks it's so funny. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, he was like, ah. Oh, and I... maybe it's different for boys. Maybe, maybe it's it for boys when yeah. he gets a teenager, he'll go, yuck, yuck. That's the funniest yeah. thing ever. My girls are not into it right now. Yeah, they're not they into are that, not man. into it Dad, at all. Don't fucking talk about me. They're not. That's my business. Like this last special we did, Isla needed to watch it before you could put it out. Yeah. Wow. And she had one joke where she was like, nope. And did they take it out? We took it out. No way. We did. You can't tell the context of the joke? Uh, I, I guess I can. Um, he, he, this was actually a true story, but this joke was not true. Right. Right. So we went to a choir concert. Georgia was hardcore into like show choir and all this choir in middle school. And they were auctioning off, um, the show, in the beginning of his joke, as you see why I'm not a stand-up. <laughs> in the beginning of his joke, he's talking about how this is a four-hour car concert. What the fuck are we doing here? Isla and I are stuck like in the Hurt Locker. And Isla leans over to me and goes, where's a school shooter when you need one? And, <laughs> oh and it's big laugh, huge <laughs> laugh when we were shooting the special. Yeah. Because obviously, who wants to sit through a four-hour fucking Nobody right. wants to sit through that. It was funny in the moment. Isla saw it and went, nope. I right. do not want to say that. I didn't say that. Yeah. I would never say that. That's not cool. So it didn't really affect the joke. I understand. I understand her perspective yeah. as like a comic and a demic show. It up. just killed Who Bert. Cares? It killed him. He did not want to take it out. He yeah. kept going, but what if I have this one soundbite where I just say, fuck you. She didn't say that. I wrote that joke. And she was like, nope. And he was like, well, what if he just kept trying to talk her into it? Yeah. And it's the only time ever she's been immovable. And I was like, okay, we cut that one thing out and it didn't really affect the rhythm of the joke. It didn't really affect yeah, anything. If you didn't know it was there, you would never have known it was there. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. That I'm was sure. Time. Yeah. I mean, my, my son, he really likes entertaining as well. Like oh, okay. He, yeah. He's in musical theater and you know, awesome. he sings piano. He does jujitsu. He does the same. He's like very, very well-rounded. Um, baseball, all that. Um, and he, I think he wants to do stand up at one point. At this point, he says that he wants to. We did a roast for me at Skankfest, and we, you know, <laughs> sat down with him and wrote a few jokes, and he recorded a little video he of him did? roasting me. It was, I mean, and then I showed him, you know, the video of, you know, a couple thousand people reacting to him. I mean, he was just like on cloud nine. Aww. Loves it. He, you know, he looks up to me in, you know, a lot of ways. He started a podcast with Max Kelly. Mm -hmm. We don't put it out, he just did it for themselves. That's right? so cute. Yeah, it's called James to the Max. <laughs> And uh, That's amazing. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, so they, they do a different subject. So like, it'll be coffee to the max and that'll be, they're talking oh about coffee God. on that episode. And that's that. Why won't they put it out? Um, I, I'm very protective. Yeah. My fan base are, you know, they're in a pro and I don't want them to send Max and James a video of me sucking Bobby Kelly's dick. Oh, so I'm going to yeah. really just keep them off the internet yeah, for as yeah, long yeah, as yeah. possible. Good call, good call, good call. Yeah, he's not, he's not an internet kid. He's not a, he just got a pad for his birthday yeah. uh, a month ago. Um, 
you know, he's on it a little bit. He's just not that kid. He's not a screen time kid. Yeah. He likes to, you know, he likes to create and we've always encouraged it. So, um, yeah, he just doesn't, he doesn't, he couldn't, I don't even think he knows how to really Google something. Huh? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. That time will come. Of course. Like it or not. Uh, oh yeah. I know it. It shows up fifth grade. Our kids got, he's in fourth now. Yeah. Our kids got a phone when they were going to middle school because they went to a middle school with like 1800 kids yeah so i was like i, I need i need you to actually to have a phone yeah. i need to be able to find you i well we you went know? to italy i got my phone went to italy this past year just we do a father-son trip every year Aww. just me and him somewhere new every year um somewhere we haven't been um uh actually i'm doing the trip with bobby kelly and max this year we're doing a uh, double father-son trip to costa rica we're oh, renting like fine. a little place in the in the uh forest and it's gonna be really really cool um but we were, we're going to italy and i was like if this kid gets lost, he's not going to have a phone. That's fucking crazy. He can't even, like, you know, you're not going to be able to communicate with anyone. So I, I started getting paranoid. And then I want him to be able to take pictures. Yeah. You know, he, he's, you know, just sort of like that experience, a little bit of independence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's just, you know, he, he never has a phone on him. Never is, you know, texting, never is doing any of the stuff that you're worried, sort of worried about kids doing. Yeah. It's good. You know, but even like at restaurants, you see kids just like on the pad the whole time. It's crazy to me. Like. I would never, even like my niece, she's that kid. My, my sister will just give my niece the pad. When we go out to eat, I'm like, no, you're not on a pad. We're having yeah. a conversation. Yeah. Um, I think it's it, causing a lot of depression for kids. A and ton. Anxiety. It's also disassociation. It you're, is, you're, yes. People aren't making eye contact. Completely. My son, my son, he's an only child as well, and he was raised around a lot of adults. So he'll just have a conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, my son will take an eight-hour car ride and no pad, no nothing. He'll just talk the whole time. Right on a flight, like he'll, he'll sit down for dinner and he'll just have a real conversation about life. Right. Um, there's no like boredom. I think it's a major advantage moving forward for kids. The, the later you get kids hooked onto pads and I know it's easy. It's easy just to give them a pad. And, um, and once again, I think I'm lucky. It's not, my kid didn't really, he didn't freak out for those things. I might've given in a little bit earlier if that was like, he was really into it, you know? Right. Or some kids, you know, Kids are so different. I have two very different kids. Georgia, and believe it or not, is is very, very similar to Bert. And Isla is a super hybrid. She's a little bit of both of us. Mm. But you have to parent them so differently. And I see <clears throat> I see parents just not want to deal with it and just give the kid the iPad. And of I course. think, boy, you are just racking up debt, man. At mm. a certain point, you're going to have to pay that bill because when they're a teenager, you can't give them an iPad anymore. Well, everyone's and they're not eyes, listening everyone's to eyes you. Are, are going. All these kids yeah. have, have to wear glasses now. Yes. Um, you know, and then also just sort of like, you know, there's this like weird, like, you know, social media is like, it's just a really evil fucking thing. Like it really genuinely is like, you know, it's just sort of like, it's designed that, you know, it's this fake thing that we're like coming together and communicating with each other, but it's all like these algorithms and these, these super smart people that are just sort of like making it feel that way. But it's all just about collecting our information and selling yeah. us shit. And you were participating actively in this weird experiment about, you know, a handful of people becoming bazillionaires. Yeah. And it's like, how are we having our kids opt in for that? You're allowing your kid for what? So they can disassociate. So they can't actually have yeah. people skills. So they can't make eye contact. They can't go in for a job interview They, you know, I my, look, the, the technology is getting more intuitive. Mm -hmm. The computers will get easier to use. Eventually it'll just be a thought and you can look something up yeah, on totally. Google. Right. So I'm not worried about my son not being in tune with technology. No, it's going to get, it, it's no impossible. Reason to, yeah. yeah. 
So what I'm worried about him is him not being able to fall in love or not be able to yeah. feel a true human connection yeah. or, you know, any of those other things that, you know, I think that people are going to have a real hard time with just having real self value, you know, like everyone's, you know, every girl that I know, they, they pull out a face app and like they change their faces. They filter. Yeah. Not even just a filters. filter. There's whole yeah, apps that stupid. fucking change the face. Oh my God. <laughs> and they're all using it. These girls are out there. It's a wild thing. And you go, it's like. It, none of it's real. None I, of it's real. None of it's real. And then you go to the supermarket. It's like, you know, there's a guy behind the counter and he's just trying to sell you an orange and you just want an orange. And you give him a buck. And that's kind of real. Yeah. Whatever his fucking like, he's not using an app to make his face look better. <laughs> he's not letting you know his political beliefs. He's not letting you know what, you know, right. you're just living. And that's the yeah. way real life is. And the more we incorporate technology into real life, the more we are going to start turning into, you know, the culture war and, and people fighting and arguing. And I don't yeah. want, I don't want to live there. I want to. I don't either. It makes everything extra right outside mm. yourself it makes mm -hmm. everything extrinsic when really value true value self thank value. you for telling me what extrinsic means because you know i didn't know yeah, it's no, like no. outside yourself extra <laughs> intrinsic means is yeah. something that you've built inside like self-esteem real self-esteem is built from achievement in like what you're talking about by setting a goal and achieving it mm -hmm. i don't mean by making a million dollars i mean by saying i'm going to brush my teeth every day this week and doing it you know yeah. whatever the small achievement is that's how you build intrinsic value and intrinsic value is what's healthy well that's and you're right, right? because you have this there's these little fake like dopamine uh-huh that's extrinsic yeah, there's something you, outside but it's not even really you go like they don't have to accomplish anything no like like you to in order to feel great when I was a kid, in order to feel great, you had to be great. Yeah. Go do something fucking great, yeah. you know? And it's almost almost like an old hack thing to say. It's like, oh, everyone gets a participation trophy now. It's not a participation trophy. Everyone gets to feel great based off of this whole online thing. Like everyone's eating at the best restaurants and mm -hmm. they have the, the best clothes and they look great and every angle is great. But everyone's falling apart. Nobody, nobody that I know, <laughs> I know like four people who are happy, right? Nobody that I know is actually happy, right? Wow. You know, it, it's just sort of this thing. And then everyone sort of walks around going like, whoa, everyone's so happy. I'm not, and then they get further depressed because right. they're like, I don't have this shit. But nobody really got any of this shit. No, it's all fake. Just Bert and Nate Bargatze, you're the only people that I know that are actually <laughs> happy. <laughs> I am happy. And you're guess happy, what? Man. I'm almost never on social media. Yeah. I, I much rather have a conversation with yep. a person about real shit than scroll social media. Now, I do look at social media because it's one of the ways I connect with my kids is we look at stupid pet videos on Instagram. And oh, yeah, on Reels? Now, that I, I do. That. Yeah, of course. we all like, look at that cat, do the stupid thing, and then we'll laugh with each other. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I, I think having teenagers and watching them go through high school it is such a different experience than when i was in high school that it makes me worried a little bit right why, why? like i feel like i feel like my kids are scared of boys like they don't know how to interact with boys because woke culture has confused everybody mm. and and uh, you know this equality that's no longer equality has confused everybody so boys don't know how to act with girls they don't know do I open the car door for her? Or is she going to be offended by that? Right. What do I do? I have no idea. Do I ask her out or does she ask me out? Who pays when we go out? If I pay, is she going to be offended or yeah. if we supposed to split it? What are we supposed see, to I'm do? I'm just a traditionalist. I just teach my son like it's 1954. Well, <laughs> I, but see, that's the problem is that I think there's nothing wrong with, with, with being treasured as yeah. a woman. Of course. With being appreciated and treasured. And that's one way of expressing it. Obviously, someone saying you don't know what you're talking about because you're a woman 
is not cool. Right. But at the same time, I don't have a problem with someone opening a door for me. He's not saying you're not capable of opening a door. Of He's course. being considerate. It's being there, there's... But the girls these days don't don't are taught something a little different. Yeah. I feel like in my observation, the, the value, the values are like consciously being changed, you know, for, yeah. for almost, if it's, I almost feel like if it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. Like, yeah. I don't think that was the problem. Men being gentlemen to women is not the problem. <laughs> There's no, like, that's not some of that is the message. Yeah. That they take from it, that right. they take from it. Not yeah. that that's was the problem, but that was the message. Yeah. And so, yeah, I watch all these little teenagers coming in and out of our house and go in and out of dances and like they just go with friends. No one right. goes with a date. And I was like, do you know how fun it was to wonder who was going to ask you to the date and be mm. so excited? And then when that person asks you, you get so dressed up and excited to go. And now they're like wearing Converse tennis shoes and, right. you know, like uh, oversized clothes to the yeah. prom. Like whatever. Where you're, I'm Gender like, is just a social <sighs> construct. Like, and oh, I go, God. that's great. Yeah. Of course, everybody should be whoever they are. <laughs> but I'm really bummed that they don't get to experience some of the things that we, that were, I guess, like you said, traditional. Yeah. Um, that helps you form who you are as a person. Yeah. It really does help you form to be excited that someone's going to ask you. Yeah. I need mean, to wait. Also to, to take that chance. Like, you know, exactly. the, the, you know, you learn a big lesson there, yes. right? Where you go like, well, rejection doesn't kill you, right? Yes. You have to, like my son will eventually like a girl, yep. ask her to dance. She might reject him. She might say yes. Those are like defining moments sometimes 100%. in a very, very big way. And yeah. it's not just about love. It's about anything. I, I'll tell you a quick story about um, just sort of like, it kind of reminded me of like defining moments, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I like to think that I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I, I've always, since I was a young kid, I mean, I, I've always... I was always the kid with the iced tea stand, lemonade stand, you know, when it snowed, shoveling people's driveways. I, I was poor. I, I, that's how I made money. That's how yeah. I made money for candy and, and you know, things like that. Um, and I, I'm talking about since I was seven, like as soon as I could pick up a shovel and put, you know, I was out there shoveling snow. Yeah. I would sell candy door to door. I'd always like win those contests. I was yeah. always the kid who would do that. Um, so I've had it in me since I was a kid. I had my first actual job when I was 11 and I've never not worked since. Right. right? Um, and it's something that I think is... Um, you know, I think, I think having an entrepreneurial spirit and having that mindset, I think it could help anybody in, you know, totally. massive ways throughout their life. So I just moved to the suburbs, moved from New York city during the pandemic. I moved to the suburbs to a little house. Um, and it was October. And I remember my kids, they were, or my son and my niece, they were like, Oh, we want to do a lemonade stand or an iced tea stand. I was like, it's a little too late. I was like, it's, it's October. I was like, why don't we get hot apple cider? All right, and we'll get some apple cider donuts. You guys can do a hot apple cider stand out here. And um, yeah, they were so pumped about it. We went to the store. I was like, look, this is what your budget is. You got 20 bucks, you know, and this is like, they got to pay back the budget and that's your profit, right? Yeah. I was just trying to teach them a little lesson. Yeah. And they go out for the first like maybe 45 minutes and it's a ghost town. Nobody's out there. Yeah. Nobody. And you can just see them sort of like losing interest. Yeah. Like, you know, Bianca, my niece, she's suggesting them go play something. Yeah. My son's kind of like bummed out, right? And I was like, fuck, I can't have this moment be this. Yeah. I can't have them fail. The first time they try to do something where they try to make some money, try to create a business. I was like, they have to fucking succeed at this at least a little bit yeah. or this could really set them off on a trajectory for failure for the rest of their lives. Yeah, right? It was really important to me. Yeah. So I remember I just went around the corner. I just saw some woman getting into a car. I was like, miss, 
take this two dollars please go buy some hot apple cider from these kids and she thought it was adorable she was like oh keep your money and she went and then it was a moment they they, they bought it and they these kids like they lit up yeah they were like wow and they got the two dollars and then it was on then they were like going to the corner <laughs> yelling at people to come over and i did it secretly they, they didn't know i went to this woman yeah, they, totally. they saw that she yeah. just came up and they were just so inspired they were like calling cars over they ended up selling like $50 worth of hot apple cider. They made a profit. They went Amazing. to the store. They got to spend their money, split it. It was such a cool experience. That's really, great. really cool experience. But, you know, I think you have to, you know, as a parent, it's our responsibility to sort of make sure that those things happen. It's totally. kind of reminded me of you saying like going to the dance and just not, you know, these moments where like, uh, you know, a boy asks a girl to dance. Like yeah. it's this moment. It's like, well, am I going to be the kid who's afraid to ask a girl to dance from now yeah. on? Or am I going to be the kid who says, you know what? I have all the confidence in the world because I nailed that. Yeah. Um, and you have to let these kids figure it out. And I think you're not giving the kids a, a chance to figure yes. any of this stuff That's out. That's right. These They're... real world tangible things. Yes. Like, that the, all the, the I, I feel like they have almost none of that anymore. You know? I do too. There's everything's about staying safe. And I wonder how much of that is from the pandemic and how much that messaging of we have to stay safe. We have to stay inside. Let's keep a mask on. Oh, I was a, no, I was a lunatic during the pandemic. I, you I, are. What do you mean? I got, I got vaccinated because I had to do a gig in England and I had to, I, but I was like, Day one, I was like, I don't really buy it. I'm not an, I'm not, can, I'm not an, okay. like, I'm not one of these guys. Believe me, I'm not. It didn't become my identity. Right. I just never bought it. Yeah. And I never, I was very clear with my son, my family. Even with everybody in New York dying, you still didn't buy it? No, it, it, it never really registered to me mm. that it was this, that it was what it said it was. It always seemed like it was okay. being blown out of proportion, that it was, you know, um, and that was just sort of my attitude with it. So I don't, I think my son, and even my son's mother very quickly Sort of going like, yeah, this is a little bit crazy. I was right. like, we, you know, we're healthy. We're very, everyone in my family exercises. Everyone's, you know, mm-hmm. we just didn't need to be locked up, locked in. We didn't right. need to, in my opinion, you know, I, I'm sure there's a big debate about uh, a lot of it. But the point is that I just never really instilled that fear in him. He didn't have a right. household where it was like, oh my God, like you're, you know, everyone's going to die. Well, we weren't like that in our house. Yeah. We weren't like that in our house. Um, I went out and went to the grocery store. We, we, we did shit like that. We had people that we, we, kept in our bubble. Yeah. We saw other families and stuff. But schools locked down. Your online learning. Yeah. I mean, when we went back to school in California, you had to test constantly, mask all the time. Yep. You know, desks far apart. So the way that society was presented. And California was, was one of the scary. one of the worst yes. places to be living right. during the pandemic. I moved from New York City, which is also one of the worst places to New Jersey, which was like one of the best places like New Jersey was like, they really did it in a way where they just tried to not make life. And it wasn't like Florida where they were having parties, but they really, they, it was reasonable. I I thought it was very reasonable the way that New Jersey, their, their response to it. Cause you have to be responsible. Um, but yeah, yeah. My, I, I, yeah, I think it did affect them. You know, I think it affected, I think what it did in my house was it took two years those two years are pretty important. It was like my daughter's eighth and ninth grade year of school. Eighth grade, you're like the king of the school. Yeah. She spent eighth grade at home with me learning history, <laughs> which was not fucking fun for her or me. And then ninth grade, you know, it's a brand new school. She missed those whole two really important years. And yeah. then by the time she hit sophomore year, the I know that kids in high school have like a pattern of behavior is is very trackable what girls at least do in high school at freshman year they start gathering a lot of friends big friend group and then as they get into sophomore year they start 
weeding through those friends and kind of getting down to one or two. Yeah. Well, all that started sophomore year. So everything was kind of a year behind socially. Yeah. Um, and so I just see these kids staying really safe and staying very safe in their like emotional space. Yeah. And I just keep going, oh, there's just nothing to be learned from that. Yeah. You can't grow from that. Being safe means you're going to be the same person when you're 40 mm. that you are now. And that's so boring. Yeah. Isn't it really interesting to well, we learn from failure, right? We, you know, yes. you, you fall down and get back up. You're, you walk a little bit straighter. And I think that if everyone's safe and they're never falling down, they're never going to learn how to they're walk. Learn. You, mm. you just miss out on so much. If you don't do that kind of shit, make an ass of yourself from time to time. Yep. Um, because then you, I don't know. It just makes you such a richer person. Mm-hmm. And I worry about the kids these days <laughs> as I see them. I go, oh, just nobody's uh, Georgia has one friend that is very willing to make an ass of herself. And I keep going, that's the way you go. Yeah. Go the way but of the daisy. Look, I love the daisy. This is where, you know, I, I, I the, the cream rise to the top and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm, ra- I'm raising my son to be fucking elite. I'm raising him to be a great person yeah. and to do great things, you know, that's um, awesome. That's just, that's and that's the way, so I look at it as like you know where all these other kids are, are that it's an opportunity for my son to thrive and grow and yeah. to stand out amongst everybody else, and he really does. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm gonna bring my son out to California. When <laughs> you're gonna be, you're gonna fucking love this kid. He's like I'm sure I will. I mean, he's so personable. He just did a play. He did um, Shrek the musical, like the local town production. Yeah. And the age group was nine to fourteen. He was nine at the time. He got the role of donkey. He's the youngest kid oh. in the production. The funniest role. Like such a you know such an adorable, sweet, personable kid. Like very big personality but like so polite like just doesn't have a rude bone in his body that's awesome good kid really good kid that's so great he's fourth grade yeah oh my god yeah middle school coming up next year yeah they, they start in fifth grade in his school district oh they do mm-hmm. fifth fifth grade is it fifth, fifth sixth seventh fifth sixth seventh eighth eighth all four middle yeah. school is a different ball game but. yeah that's what i hear Whew. it's uh it can be dicey yeah, he's worried about bullies he keeps on mentioning it but i was like james You've been doing jujitsu for years. You've been <laughs> boxing and doing Muay Thai for years. Like he, he's such a sweet, he doesn't realize that like. He has can, power. This kid can drop a hammer. He's going <laughs> to really punch. He knows jujitsu. He's really good at jujitsu. Um, but he just doesn't have an aggressive, he's not an aggressive kid. He's just very, very sweet. Right. So I'm hoping that if it ever comes down to it, that just like kicks in and he has like, he knows that he ha- can take care of himself. But I mean, I was bullied relentlessly as a kid. I just yeah. got into fights every day. Like I, I you know. But we're raising our kids in a much different, you know. I don't know. My kids' middle school is pretty rough. Yeah, really? Yeah, they went to public middle school. My kids went to public school till high school. Mm. High school, they went to private, all girls Catholic. But, um, yeah, their middle school is pretty rough. There was a lot of fights, a lot of drugs in their middle school. Really? Kids having sex on campus. That's crazy. And we didn't put them there because of that. It actually, at the same time, is such a large, it was 1,800 students in 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. It had really great educational programs and was mm. really a great school, as well as having all this other stuff going. But Georgia tells me all the time that she thinks she learned more in middle school about life in general than any any other time in her life. Mm. Was she watched boys fighting and girls fighting and all this riffraff and going, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. Yeah, like I'll pass on that. I guess when I was in, there was kids already smoking weed and having sex in the eighth grade. Oh, well, they were when I was yeah, in yeah. school. When I was in school, for sure, yeah. Yeah. I remember the, I, I wasn't yet. I didn't, no, I I didn't start either. doing any of that stuff till way later. <clears throat> I was ninth grade. <laughs> I, <went laughs> I didn't smoke weed year. till I was a senior year in high school. Oh I didn't God. have sex until I was 16 years old. Um, 
you know, I wasn't, uh, but I remember the kids who like did that. There was just yeah. kids who like go to the bathroom and they'd come out, their eyes would be all red. Yeah. The hallway would smell of weed, but like, I know exactly who it was. Yeah. Remember a couple of kids getting pulled out of class for that. I remember one of the kids in the eighth grade had sex with one of the other kids' moms. What? Like, yeah, like crazy. With a mom? Yeah, with a mom, yeah. Oh, that poor mom. Yeah. She was a disaster, huh? Yeah, she was a nightmare. Oh, well, geez. I feel bad because <clears throat> her daughter was in our, like, you know, everyone had to like. How do you deal with that as a kid, right? That's brutal. That sucks. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be hard. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're doing a great job as a dad. You should be really proud of yourself. It's super it hard out. to come, uh, come out of what you described. Yeah. You know? How did you have any therapy or anything? Yeah, I've gone to a bunch of therapy. Have you? Yeah. Um, you know, it's I've, it's been hot and cold in therapy. As it always I, I think yeah. that I I hadn't I haven't really gone into a lot of what happened with my childhood in therapy, which is my opinion. I thought that's the whole point of therapy. Every time I talk to a therapist, they like they always keep it very surface. Why? Um, I don't know, maybe because I'm giving off that energy. I don't know. I, uh, anytime they mention my mom, I break down crying and then I'm like, Oh, is this not a fucking buying sign Wait, lady? They break down crying. No, I do. Oh, you do. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and you're like, well, like, all right, well, as a therapist, when you go like, all right, that's where we need to go. Yeah. Don't really go there. Yeah. That's really odd. And I, I mean, I have, luckily I've had comedy as a massive form of therapy. Um, you know, just being able to, you know, talk about the things I'm very open. I, you know, I don't really do hide you talk anything. about your mom in comedy. Yeah. In your comedy, you do? Yeah, yeah, I've talked about my mom. I've talked about my dad. My dad was murdered when I was four years old. What? He was stabbed to death, yeah. What? And my mom died when I was 22. She died of a drug overdose, but she had, was dying of cancer. She just, like, gave up on life. Um, Who murdered your dad? My mom. No, I'm kidding. I was like, hold on, what? <laughs> no, uh, he got into a fight. He was a pimp, um, and he was outside of a strip club that he was, like, working. Like, he had girls that worked there, and he got into a fight with these two guys. He beat them up. They came back like an hour later with a knife and they stabbed him. Oh my God. Yeah. You were four? Yeah. I was four years old. That's, that's, that's hard. Yeah. And just, I think. You so know, you knew your dad? Like, do you remember your I, dad? I have like a memory, like a memory or two, like very, very few, yeah. um, you know, just like flashes. Um, but you know, I don't think he was a good dude either, to be honest with you. I well, don't know I that if he was in my life, I would have been better off. <laughs> so, you know, uh, look, I, I, you know, I, my son is my world. There was one sperm, one egg that had to meet. That's yep. that. And that's it. Anything before that, <coughs> I don't change a fucking blink of an eye. Nothing. Because it had to be that sperm. It had to be that egg. Right? right. So I wouldn't change my mom's, you know, what happened with her, my father, my childhood, my upbringing. It all brought me to where I'm at that's right, right man, now. Simple that's as that. Right. It's legitimately did. And, you know, the things that made me stronger made me stronger. The things that made me weaker made me weaker. But, you know, that sperm had to beat that egg. Simple yeah. as that. It's the truth. Mm -hmm. And who you are is who you're supposed to be. Even with all the pain and hurt and upset and all the stuff you went through just made you a better person. And it sounds to me like you've turned all of that abuse and physical, mental, emotional abuse into just positivity. Yeah, for the most part, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, look, I, you know, there's a couple Uber drivers that'll tell you differently. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I have my moments, too, yeah. where I get really angry and upset. And, you know, I, I, I'm a, if there's a fight or flight, I'm a, I'm a fighter and people wouldn't maybe think that about mm. me, but it's definitely related to how I grew up, right. like to having to take care of myself and having to, having to really be my own parent. Mm -hmm. And when shit happens, I, I have no problem being my own parent and yeah. as part of the reason Bert and I work so well, I think is because I don't really I don't really need anybody to take care of me. Right. Um, I want to be with Bert and 
enough guests on some levels I need to be with Bert, but I don't really need much. You know, mm. I don't need anybody to to deal with my shit because no one dealt with my shit when I was a kid. Right. I did. Yeah. If I had to do something, I did it. Yeah. And so I don't know. Do you have a woman now? Yeah, yeah. I'm dating a, a girl uh, who she actually lives here in L.A. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's a dancer, not a stripper. Um, <laughs> she, be either one. No, okay. She's a, yeah, she travels um, with a Latin recording artist. She's like, you know, tours the world dancing. Amazing. And, uh, yeah, super cool chick. Really sweet. We actually just talked about her possibly moving to the East Coast, um, you know, hopefully this summer. So, you know, taking it step by step. It's You don't really know how it'll be until you like live like uh, i'm at a place now where it's like you know i'm not gonna like i can't it's kind of hard to casually date uh -huh. you know it's like like i can just casually date and like have a few different chicks that i'm seeing or whatever but i'm gonna call somebody my girlfriend right yeah. it's you can't i can't really make it casual like mm -hmm. i have a child i have a career i you know i have a lot of stuff going on right now that it's like are, are you gonna fit into my life is that gonna be you know a part of my future and how is that gonna look you know yeah so there's like it's just a little bit you know, the energy that I have is a little bit, is a little bit different. So, um, things are great. We're long distance right now. And it's like, we really long to see each other all the time. And it's like, when we see each other, it's like super passionate. Um, but you don't know until you're in the, you know, living in the same city, living in the same household, yeah. like how it will really turn out. So we're sort of at this place in our relationship and, uh, yeah, we'll see. I think she's, I think she's great. You know, I'm, I'm really, really into her. Um, but it's a little bit of a, a scary time just because you're like, like, what if we, she fucking moves to the East coast and we hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be scary. It's a big jump. But I, I told her if we do it, like keep your apartment in LA, keep your car in LA, like have your independence, you know, yeah. we'll take it step by step and yeah. see, you know, see where it goes. Cause she's, you know, she's in a couple of years, she's going to want to probably start a family, get married, all that stuff. And I'm now mentally getting into my head. It's like, am I ready for round two? Yeah. Of right. Like that like, Cause it was, my son's 10 now. I thought it yeah. was sort of over, you yeah. know? And, you know, yeah. I mean, it's not too difficult to convince me to get you pregnant. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> no problem. She, she probably, Give me two seconds. Yeah. She could uh, probably convince me. Right. Yeah. Well, you're a great dad. You'd probably yeah. love having Well, that's the other thing kids. is like, I, I did probably, I did want to have more kids. I had a lot of like regrets about um, me and my son's mother breaking up the, the way it happened. Like I, in my head, I thought we would have probably ended up getting back together. Um, when I moved out, it was supposed to be like a trial separation. And then we just never really came back together. Mm. We ended up being better co-parents and better friends outside of it. And then when you look at it, now I look at it, I was like, oh, we were so incompatible. We were just the, uh, she she didn't like the type of comedy I did. She she, right, she, right. Oh, she yeah, hated this, yeah, no. this world. Like it just was not her thing at yeah. all. Um, so it wasn't a good match and she's a gr great parent, a great co-parent, a great person. Um, but ultimately it's like, I was just young and just like, we were physically attracted to each other. And that was that the, the girl that I'm dating now, like she's such a big fan of what I do, which is, you know, it's such, you, we talked about it earlier, right? Just sort of having a support system, yeah. just having somebody that goes, I get what you do. I see yeah. what you do. I love it. I respect it. Yeah. Um, that's really, really, you know, important. It's you know? essential for you. I think so. It's essential. You can't move forward if yeah. your partner is not on board. Yeah, completely. Right. I like, I totally have always gotten Bert's comedy from the beginning. Mm -hmm. First time I saw him at the improv, <laughs> he talks about this all the time. If we were just dating, he was like, I'm nervous to have you see me do stand up because I wasn't, 
I'd never dated a comic before. I'd, mm-hmm. I'm not. I mean, I grew up watching comedy with my dad a lot. I watched more comedy than most girls probably did. Right. But I had no aspirations of being in this world in any way, shape or form of comedy at all. I just. It's also a world that you don't even know a way in. No, well, like, I didn't. Nobody I didn't, knows comedians. No, like, it's a weird I didn't thing. know. It's not like I was hanging out at the comedy clubs. You yeah. know, we went bowling. How did somewhere. you guys end up meeting? We went bowling. I, uh, I had a friend who had a friend who was Bert's roommate. So she invited Bert's roommate bowling and he said, can I bring Bert? So we were a big group of us bowling, like, I don't know, maybe 12 people. Mm -hmm. So we separated into couples and singles and Bert and I were on the singles (laughs) and uh, we're bowling and we were having so much fun. The end of the night, I knew his roommate and I said, Hey, give him my phone number. Nice. He's super fun. We'd have a good time. And I thought to myself, two weeks, I'll, I'll go out with him for like two weeks. We'll be friends forever. Yeah, yeah. But two weeks, that's it. Bert doesn't call me. Doesn't call me. <laughs> so I call his roommate and I go, what the fuck, man? I'm a cute girl. We had so much fun. Why hasn't he called me? And he goes, ask him yourself. And hands the phone to Bert. And wow. I go, hey, man, I'm a cute girl. Gave you my phone number. Why don't you call me? And he goes, uh, 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 uh. And I said, uh, you know, if you ask me out on a date, I'll say yes. So just ask me. Yeah. He goes, you want to go on a date? I said, Yes. <laughs> So he hangs the phone up and turns to his roommate and goes, she just wants me for my body. She just wants to fuck. And I was like, now knowing who I am, he was like, he showed up for the date and I was dressed for a date. And he was like, oh my God, he was a wreck. He didn't eat dinner. No, He couldn't tolerate his shoes, took his shoes off in the middle of dinner, (laughs) couldn't deal with it. Uh, When dinner was over, he was like, you want to go get drinks at a bar yeah want to go get dessert after that want to go get a six-pack he wouldn't let the date in he wouldn't let it end and finally i was like it's two o'clock in the morning but bye 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 he goes home calls me the next morning nine o'clock in the morning what are you doing tonight every single day from that day on he Hmm. called me at nine o'clock in the morning and still i was like there's no way i'm getting involved with a comic i'm gonna be broke there's no way I'm going to be working shit jobs my whole life. At the time, I was writing screenplays, and I was doing really well. I'd already sold one that had been made. I had four more that were optioned. had studios asking me to write for them. That's cool. And I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. No way. And then I was about two or three weeks of dating. I started going, I actually think this might be the right way. I've been dating the wrong guys. I've been dating guys that are just like pretty boring. And no wonder I'm cycling in and out of boyfriends. Right. I was always monogamous, but I was always like, yeah, so anyway, I guess we're doing the same shit again today. You know, yeah. I'm done. I had to move on. And my dad told me a long time ago, he was like, you're not going to marry a regular person. You're just not. You're just not wired that way. You're going to marry someone who's really not normal so mm-hmm. just get ready that's how you're wired <laughs> when he shows up you'll be fine and he was right so yeah after after a little bit i i like was like oh no i think this is oh man this is the right direction had a full bone panic attack because <laughs> i was like i can't be married to a comic there's no fucking way um and my girlfriend came over and she was like oh honey you're done you're totally done <laughs> just surrender that's it. this is your path you're good but Bert was nervous to take me to see stand-up. It was first time. And the first time I saw him, I went, you're so much smarter than your act. Yeah. Like, you're a meathead. Yeah. But you're not that meathead. Yeah. You need to be a smart meathead because that's where you are. That's who you are. Yeah. Well, I, I connect with that, definitely. I, I I play a dumb guy on the internet. You're not dumb. Yeah. But, but I lean into that. Yeah, and Bert does, too. And he's not dumb. Because it's funny. 
It's totally nothing, funny. There's nothing oh. funny about the guy who aces oh, the test. No, no, no. Hits the home run. No, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But maybe, maybe I'm not representing Bert the right way. He actually is a fucking meathead. He just, <laughs> he is. He yes. is the guy that goes, but you're a girl. And then yeah. you, you look at him and go, really? Yeah. Every single person on your team is a girl. Yeah. You employ like eight girls. What are you fucking saying? Like he's that kind of meathead of where course. he doesn't even realize that he's a meathead. But he's also so smart. Mm -hmm. And you just wouldn't expect the two in that package. Um, anyway, I love Bert's comedy. I always have. Yeah. I've always loved that he talks about. One of the great, one of the great uh, uh, laws in the 48 Laws of Power is to play the fool. Is to play the fool. Play the fool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know the 48 Laws of Power. It's a great book. Is it? Never heard of it. It's psychotic. It's psychotic? Uh, it's like, it, it's like world domination, like narcissist, <laughs> like... Uh, handbook um but it's a it's like all these laws about like how to essentially like essentially it's we're all playing the the power game whether it's your you know relationships with your boss your employees in any relationship there's this like power struggle and you're yep. inherently in this sort of like battle and it's how to essentially manipulate your way through life in order to get everything out of it and it's a lot of little things like that like that was one of the laws though it's like yeah play the fool I'll play the fool um which is it just allows people to lower their expectations of right. you it allows people to not really it's it, you're just sort of like you're like no no, no i'll let you I'll, I'll allow you to think that i'm here when i'm really up here really and you're playing here, this yeah. game down here totally. so where i'm playing this game up here That's totally um right. so yeah but it's a great it's honest it's a really enjoyable read because what they do is they give you the law and then they will give you um an example of it in history how it is applied and how it worked and an example in history how it failed where somebody didn't apply that law right and it's really cool like it's a cool book it's a, it's like they give you these you know, just it's 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 real examples throughout history, everything from like kings to like monarchs to monks. I have to, to like read this book. Really fun book. It's by um, there's a famous. Uh, what am I blanking on his name? He's got a bunch of of uh, the laws of human nature. I'm I'm reading now. Um, you like to read? I when I say read audiobooks, <laughs> I listen. I listen to audiobooks. It's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, I know. I have a dyslexic kid. But yeah. That's how you read. You uh, read yeah. it by listening. Yeah, I, I I really enjoy an audiobook. Yeah, um, I do too. I love yeah. them. I, I listen to them all the time. I do shit like folding laundry, which actually sucks life out of my soul. Yeah, of course. I feel like I am wasting my life when I fold laundry, so I put an audiobook on so I can bear it. Oh, I couldn't imagine folding I laundry. I hate laundry. That's one thing I don't like about our lovely life that we have. Bert doesn't like people in our house. So no so, cleaning person? Uh, no. Oh. It's me. Oh, you have the big house. It's a lot of fucking laundry. That fucking asshole makes a lot of laundry. I'm sure, When yeah. he's at home, he changes clothes four times a day. Yeah. Four times a day. The whole time he's home, George's friends were over for the summer. And at the end of the summer, one of her friends went home and said, I feel so sorry for Leanne. Every time I look in that laundry room, it's like ankle deep and just shit. And it's all Bert's. Makes I, yeah, I, have, I, have a, I have a cleaning person that comes in and. They come in on Mondays, and by the time Sunday comes, I just start throwing my clothes around the house. <laughs> I'm just like, fucking clean it up. Because if the house isn't messy enough, when it comes to Monday, I'm like, what am I even fucking paying them yeah, for? I know, right? It's crazy. You I do nothing. The out. I swear to God. <laughs> Sunday, I turn into a fucking slob. It turns into like a college dorm. It really does. Burns a, burns a college dorm every day. Have you ever been on his bus? I know. It's disgusting. Yeah, Don't go on it. It's so gross. He always wants me to go on tour with him, and I'm like, I can I, two days on that bus. And I'm losing my mind. It's so gross. Yeah. And he brings that home. That's one of the reasons we Robert Greene is the author. Robert Greene. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad. Thank you. Yeah, I, he's huge. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a. Yeah, I'm sure book. it'll be like, oh, yeah, everybody's yeah. read this oh, book. Oh, you'll love but it. But me. Yeah. Um, I love books. So I will, I'll definitely listen to that book. Um, 
But anyway, yeah, Bert is, he's an interesting, being married to a comic and you're, for your girl, she, she should keep her own life. Uh, yeah. I was talking about that last night at this meeting we had with a chef. She's a chef who's all over the place all the time doing TV shows and stuff. And her boyfriend's getting a little like not cool with so much travel. And I was, she was like, how do you do it? So I can tell him how to do it. And yeah. I'm like, you have to have your own life that has nothing to do with him. Yeah. Like I have run a, this sounds really dorky, but I run a Girl Scout troop. I've run it for 12 years. I volunteered every school the girls have ever been in. I have this podcast that's for me that I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And none of this has anything to do with Bert. So keeping that, and I have a ton of friends yeah. that love Bert, but uh, they don't need Bert to hang out with me. Of course. So if you can have all those things in place, that's really true, I guess, in any marriage, even if your husband's nine to five, yeah. so you should have your own shit. Well, I, I also don't, it's not attractive. Like I'm really, one of the things that makes me really attracted to my chick is that she, she's so talented. Like she's yeah. so good at what she does, right. right? She's like really, really good. And it's, a, I mean, she travels all over the world and it's like, you know, from like my perspective, I'm like, wow, you're like, legitimately living your dream you woke up one day and said this is what i want to do and you're doing that and you're achieving it and there's just something about somebody who's living what they want to do that it really it's just, it's very very attractive it's a quality in a human being that i want to like i want to share that with i'm inspired yeah. by it i want to inspire that in them um but i don't want a chick i've dated a few girls who like their entire identity becomes being your girlfriend yeah, like no. they're, they're just there for that and it's just, it's, to me, in, in my opinion, it's not a very attractive quality. It's a great... Um, it's not very um, healthy either. Kurt Metzger is a great comic. He came up with this expression, and it's called a, a dick puppet. And it's essentially, you put your dick in them, and then they act however you want them to act. Um, I love that term. But I've dated a lot of dick puppets in my oh day. Oh, my God, a dick puppet. Yeah, and that's not what, that's not what, I don't think that's an attractive quality at, at all. It's attractive for a minute. And then I think it gets old really fast. And, and you stroke your ego for a very yeah, that's short what I mean. amount yeah. of time. Yeah. For a minute. Just yeah. for a minute. But I want my ego struck by somebody who's great. Well, totally. Well, that, and that and is more valuable. You know 100%. what I'm saying? Like, I'm going, oh, this person holds like, like real value. And I'm totally. like, oh, like this isn't just some asshole who like the next guy that came into their life. Like, you know, my girl, like the reality is she's beautiful. She could, she could fucking go date an NBA player or like a celebrity, right. like if she wanted to, um, you know, and you know, she doesn't and it's fucking, it feels better knowing that she has her own thing and she's, totally. you know, I, I, I look up to her in a lot of ways because of, you know, who she is and the way that she sort of carries herself. So that in turn, when she, it makes me feel like a fucking rock star, like that we're so into each other. Well, she, she's chosen you. Yeah. She's chosen you. And that makes you feel very valued. Yeah. I'm sure. That's awesome. How did you get into stand up? What was what were you doing in high school? Um, well, no. So I, I told you before I was doing that job. I was selling comedy club tickets, promoting comedy clubs. Um, and but was, you did that because you were interested in being a comic. No, no. no this is, oh, I, I okay. answered an ad. I was 19 years old. I answered an ad in the uh, in, uh, the Village Voice. Remember in New York City? They had the Village yeah, Voice. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, and it was just, you know, promote for comedy clubs in New York City. And I answered that ad and I was really, really good at that. And really what it was, it wasn't even promoting comedy clubs. It was a, it was a belly to belly sales job, right? And I'm, I've had a lot of sales jobs. My, my, I've only had sales jobs before I did comedy. Um, How old were you? I was 19 at the time. That's what you said. Right. And um, so you would go up to people in the street, right? It was for the New York Comedy Club. 
And I would say, hey, what's going on? Where are you from? And they'd be like, oh, I'm from Idaho. I'm in town with my family. So I'd ask them questions. Like, I work for this comedy club. And then you try to sell them tickets so yeah. they can go to see a show that weekend. And it was, at the time, it was eight tickets for $20. Wow. And you go to college campuses. You see, like, hey, you bring eight of your friends out. You got to buy two drinks when you get to the club. It was essentially papering the room. You got to keep the ticket money. Or I worked for a promotional company that took a percentage of it. I got to keep a percentage of what I sold. Mm-hmm. And then the comedy club gets their two drink minimum. Right. That was sort of the way the system worked. And there was probably a half a dozen comedy clubs in New York City that worked off of this system. Right. But very often it was just tourists being tricked into coming into a comedy show. They didn't want to see. Right. A good salesman will sell you anything, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was just a really good salesman. And I went out and I was very quickly able to make good money. And when I say good money, I'm talking about like 500 bucks a week. That's but good. But for a 19-year-old kid yeah. who came from nothing, yeah. I mean, I was like, that's it. I was like, I'm rich. Right. I, like, I don't need anything else. I was right. like, I can do this. I remember thinking, I was like, I can do this for the rest of my life. If it really came down so to it. So cute. That was it. I was like, I don't really, like, why would I need more than $500 a week? That's right. crazy. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> What would I ever need more than that for? <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I got very good at it very quickly. Um, and uh, I became like a manager on that team. Then I ended up just saying, well, I don't fucking need to work for these people. I can literally go to a comedy club and start my own team. So I started my own promotional team where we had like 40 or 50 guys working two or three different comedy clubs um, selling tickets. So they all worked for me. So by the time I was like 22 years old, I was making a lot of money, like really a lot of money, um, especially at that time. And um, then I started getting exposed to comedy and I started to fall in love with comedy. Yeah. I remember smoking a joint with Greg Rogel, who's like, you know, you know, for all intents and purposes, an unknown comic in New York, but it's a genius, like brilliant comic. Like there's all these killers that were working the comedy cellar when I started that like, you know, a lot of them aren't, I don't even know where they're at right now, but like they're fucking monsters. Like, you know, Mike Britt, Mike Yard, Greg Rogel. I mean, these guys will slay at the highest, highest fucking level. But they didn't make, I don't, a lot of these guys are, a lot of these guys are actually still out there doing great things, but they're not household names because they didn't, whether it's a timing thing or they didn't hit the social media thing the way that they should have, whatever it is. But New York had like a standard of fucking like, like absolute murderers. And I remember I had a joint and Greg Rogel came out and I was like, Hey, you want to smoke a joint? And he was like, yeah. So, and I, w- I was just like, I was like, Oh dude, this comic's smoking my weed. And I, just knowing now I was like, yeah, dude, he wanted to just smoke some weed. He's yeah, just right? like, yeah, yeah. But it was just so romanticized about what comedy was. And then I s- kind of secretly wanted to do it. Right. I was always a, the class clown. I was always funny. Um, and then I started producing my own show. So now we were selling tickets and I was like, well, now I want to like, you know, and I produced music events when I was like a teenager. So I was always a producer and I was like, let me produce my own show. So I got a venue that we started selling tickets for. And then my host didn't show up one week or he couldn't make it. And I, I didn't know a lot of comics. So I was like, I'll just host the show. So then I spent a year, uh, hosting my own shows, secretly wanted to be a comic, but being like, no, this is all I'll ever do. And then eventually that side of it is a weird thing because in comedy now people produce shows they they you know it'll be burt kreischer and friends at the comedy store right yeah that's not like nobody looks down at that like that's just the way it is now yeah back then this is 17 18 years ago there was a negative connotation associated with being a producer Mm. being you know it's almost like you know you had to produce your own shows in order to get stage time so uh, nobody really respected it was like right. the hierarchy of the clubs you come in you get your guest spots at the clubs and then you get your 10 minutes then you get paid for the 15 minutes then eventually you start working the road as a host then a feature then a headlining act then you get your first tv credit and you get a development yeah. deal and that was the whole Trajectory. that was the path yeah that's, that's how, how everyone did it you know yeah. and um we all sort of tried to go down that traditional path um so i just i became almost like embarrassed. I was like, I don't want to produce shows anymore. And then I stopped producing and I just started doing stand-up comedy. Then 
you know, it all comes full circle. And now we do skank fests and guests yeah, right? well. produce all these things. And that's how everyone makes all of their own money by producing their own shit now. That's and everyone insane. has their own independent channels. And, um, it, but I, I was a little bit ahead of the curve, but I think I just, um, I got kind of like whatever it was just, you know, the New York, there's just something like everyone wants to be David Tell. Everyone wants to just be smoking a cigarette. Cool. Not really giving a shit. It's like that. We're just telling our jokes and there was nothing cool about being the guy who's sort of hustling too much, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, that Isn't was that amazing how, how you, that part of your life set up this part of your life. That happens so much. I think yeah. I, I was a waitress when I was young and with the shit that I do now, I just the other day thought, Thank God I waited tables for eight years. Yeah. I, I, you learn how to do so much shit all at the same time when you're waiting tables. Mm. And that's what I do today. Yeah. I manage, I have like 24 different to-do lists yeah. that uh, are relative to all I the shit I have tables Because that's my biggest problem is just my ADD is. Oh, uh, well, it's a different, different bone of the being mm. produced that is super creative. Yeah. yeah. It's super creative. Yeah. I just, it's really if creative. I, if I do not like doing it, I will put it off until well that's because you're super creative yeah, yeah that's that's i understand that totally well i've enjoyed talking to you i have to wrap it up though i had a great time Leanne, it was so fun yeah seriously uh, anytime I, I love it i love what you guys have done here i'm inspired Aww. i'm gonna go back on this this flight back to new york and just fucking start out all my notes for the next year and <laughs> we'll lay it all out i'm gonna be playing catch up over the next year or two with you guys because this is really really inspiring i love what you guys have built well bert loves you guys so much. He thinks the world of all three of you. Of course. Um, and he was so excited you were the first people to be in his studio. Yeah. That made him so happy. Uh, we love Bert. Bert's, there's, there's not another guy that you want to root for more. He's just a good, legitimate, a good person. Who's he is talented that. and funny and, you know, he doesn't have doesn't have an ill thing to say about anybody. He's just a legitimately positive human being. That he is. Yeah. Well, he loves you. He loves all you guys. So thanks so much for coming. Thank thanks you so for being much. on my podcast. Love you, you very much. Please <laughs> check out all my other pods. And uh, yeah, that's that. How many do you have? I do technically two podcasts now. I do Realize Podcasts and Legion of Skanks. But we just started another competitive roast show called Spit Roast at, at the stand. So comedians are roasting different subjects, not each other. But that's a, a fun one that's starting that's to blow cool. up right now. Really, really cool. So I always have multiple projects going on. You know, me and my sister did one for a while that might come back called Gomez Watches Seinfeld. We never watched Seinfeld. So we watch an episode and then <laughs> talk about it. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was really that's good. My so sister, awesome. was, she was great at it. She's just, uh, you know, she's my sister. She's a weirdo. Why is she a weirdo? She's just, you know, whatever, you know, she's super funny, super creative, just doesn't have the same sort of like, it's a belief, it's a confidence in yourself. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, she doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel the same way that I do. And I'm just constantly seeing these lights and I'm like, go, got to get to the right. light, you know? Did she not like doing the podcast? No, she loved doing it, but she fucking, you know, we butted heads a lot. You did? Yeah. Well, that's what you do, your siblings, right? Yep. Well, I hope you bring it back. I hope so, too. That would be fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, darling. <laughs>